0: Just a warning, this episode contains topics and or language that could be heavy or triggering and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Bound by the Cloak, I'm Zoe. And I'm Chandi. And this is the stunning conclusion of Shannon and Wayne's story. Last time, we left off with Shannon and Wayne getting separated.
1: Do they find each other? Let's find out.
2: At this point, we'd, I had tried to call Shannon, tried to call okay. her, tried to call her, nothing's working. You know, cell phone's not working. Data would work, so like we were able to text, but it was so delayed. And come to find out now, you know they, they had shut down the cell phone grid. Right. You serious? Or just in case. For you know,
3: about 15, 20 minutes. For yeah. about
2: 15 minutes minutes just in case this guy these guys were talking to each other you know if there was more than one if they now we know that they they did it for for a reason yeah well it came back up but i couldn't get her but i was able to get my my father-in-law here in new york and they you know three hour time difference it was 10 o'clock there's one o'clock in the morning here they answered obviously because why were we calling them at one o'clock in the morning and you were on the phone with your mother mom and I couldn't get a hold of Shannon, but I had my father-in-law. Shannon had my mother-in-law. They were talking to each other in the same room, so I knew that Shannon was safe through him, through her, back to Shannon, and vice versa. So we knew we were alive. And I told you know I told them I'm going back. I'm at the Luxor, you know, and they told me where she was, and I was like Desert Rose, where is it? I've never <laughs> no, heard of this resort, exactly. you know? Like okay, all right, oh, we'll we'll figure that out later, you know, and. And then at that point, that's when they put us down in the basement and cell service was gone. Um,
3: now you you had mentioned that they put you in the basement because of a possible they thought there was more shooters, but then and a bomb threat, but then we found out that the the shooter actually loaded his minivan with explosives and parked it right outside the Luxor.
2: And I didn't even again, know that. No.
3: Yeah. He was going that was part of his they think. Um, Because they never found a manifesto or anything, but they think that was part of his exit strategy was to divert attention to the minivan that would now be exploding in front of the Luxor while he exited the Mandalay Bay.
2: Finally, you know, everything's coming down and in the basement and some, somehow this woman across from, you know, you're in, you're in this corridor. And then they came out with blankets and cookies and decks of cards for people, you know, they knew we were gonna be in there for a little while. So they just tried to make us comfortable. Um, and somehow the media got a hold of video from the initial shooting. Somebody, you know, had Snapchatted it or, fil- you know, somebody filmed it and sent it right to this news, you know, or somehow they got their hands on it. And this woman across from us was, she was watching it and it was just playing over and over and over again. And finally, I just, I looked at her and I was like, can you please shut that shit off? Like, you know, for lack of better And she's looking at me like, why? She goes, were you there? I'm I'm looking up and down this hallway. I'm like, not everybody in here was in the concert. Everybody walking the strip, everybody in the hotels, all of these, not just the 20,000 people in the concert, mm-hmm. but everybody walking the strip. We're all part of this now, you know, and this, this woman just looked at me like, a guess, like you were there. And I was like, yes, can you just turn that off, please? And she did you know, and she got up and she walked away and left. And it was like, thank God, you know, because uh, like the anger part was starting to come out, you know, and they handed out blankets and somehow some way I managed to like curl myself up in this blanket and fall asleep for, uh, it could have been 20 minutes, it could have been three hours. I, I didn't know at this point. And finally, a little while later, I I had been texting back and forth with guys that I work with here in orange County and they were giving me updates from New York better than the updates that staff was giving us or anything. Like, we're like, what is going on? And my guys were telling me, and I'm like, do I tell all these people that there's a car full of explosives out in the front of, Mm -hmm. you know, do I tell them this is a Bob scare? Do I tell them that there was only one shooter? I was like, I, I was so conflicted on whether, you know, so there was a couple of people around me and I was like, this is, this is what's happening. You know, as I was getting updates, I would tell them, you know, and then finally the door at the top of the stairs opened, and I said, okay, you're free to go. Everybody can go back to your rooms. Just stay within inside the hotel. At least if you have rooms, you can go back to your room. And I don't think I've ever run so fast. I was up those stairs and to the room fully expecting to see Shannon in the room and it oh, okay. didn't happen.
3: Yeah. So back in, in, in my closet. <laughs> so in, in, you know, we're, we're sitting there in this closet and um, we don't know what to expect. Cause again, we, we don't know what's happening. We have no idea what's happening. And then the two guys that were there kind of monitoring us, I don't want to say monitoring, the two guys that took control of the situation that was putting everyone in rooms came in the room with us and um, at one point did receive a call and said, okay, I'll be right back. Do not, but the, he gave us a code word. I forget what the code word was, but he told his buddy, this is my code word. Do not open the door unless I say the code word. So anyway, he leaves, comes back, a couple minutes later and says, okay, they are operating a command post outside the, this facility, this um, apartment complex. And I immediately gave this sigh of relief because I know that in emergency services, the only time you s- establish a command post is when you're in a safe zone. So I knew I was like, okay, we are in a safe zone. This is good. Not 10 minutes later. <laughs> so we're on the ground floor. Uh, so there's a sliding glass door right onto the patio, which actually is, it's the patio and then the parking lot. So it wasn't, it wasn't a high class establishment. Um, but so all of a sudden somebody knocks on, on the patio door with lights, shows himself and says, this is Las Vegas police. You are not to open this door under any circumstances, find a place to shelter, you know, and runs away. And at the same time, the guy comes back to the door, knocks on it, gives a secret password, comes in, and he goes, "All right, we got a we got a shelter right now." I was like, "What? Yeah, talk about roller coaster, right?" And I'm like, "We we were safe. What just happened?" And they said they think there's additional shooters hidden behind the dumpsters in the parking lot. I'm like, "Oh, for <laughs> you know, every expletive known to man." And you know, my girlfriend's just sitting there, just kind of like shaking i'm shaking and you know i'm like what the f- is going on you know and they never came back to tell us that it was okay after about an hour all of us just kind of went well if it hasn't happened by now you know and what broke it was somebody else goes i can't take it anymore i have to go to the bathroom <laughs> cuz there's 13 of us in this room and and we're all coming we're all sober now and we, You know, somebody's like, I just have to go to the bathroom. I was like, oh my God, I have to go too. Cause you're not paying attention to your bodily functions. (laughs) Do I have a headache? Do I have a cut arm? I don't know. You know, it's medical field. We call it shock, right? I have no idea. I just need to survive. And I don't really care about anything else at this point. And so, you know, during that time, when I'm in this closet with my girlfriend, I am trying to call him. And somebody else has scanner radio on. It's an app that, um, it still exists, but um, it's kind of locked down now. There's a a lot of protocol that's now in place so that people can't do what we're doing, um, you know, for the safety of the officers. But at the time, they were still, it was still open. And so we were able to listen to the Las Vegas radio, to the police channels, and listen to what they were saying. And we weren't getting the full story, but we were getting enough of the story to know, like, okay that seems safe, that seems safe. Okay. They think there's multiple shooters. Okay. No, amount. that they think it's the one plus one they thought was, there was one on top of the gas station that he mentioned before that was shooting into the crowd because it was on the corner. Um, And it actually took up a corner of the venue. Um, And he, you know, we were doing the math on it and they're like, okay, I think that's okay. And like he said, I you depend on your cell phones for everything, for data, for phone calls, for text messages. And you always think you're going to have that. And um, I was trying to call my mother. I was trying to call him. Um, either the call would fail. The call couldn't actually be completed. Um, we would get busy signals. The uh, There were times where when we connected, we would get disconnected, almost... Uh, Mid mid conversation, mid sentence, just disconnected. Um, There was times where one could hear the other, but the other couldn't hear. You know, like I could hear my mother, but she couldn't hear me, and vice versa. And we started getting very inventive, and we were like, okay, well, let's send text messages. Well, the text message thing worked, and forget forget data, data, forget it. Text messages and phone calls were your best bet. Everyone was on their damn phones trying to upload video or upload like anything data intensive on apps. So Facebook Messenger, all the things that are apps that actually take up data and aren't riding off the true cellular backbone, forget it. Don't even try to use it. Text messages, we started to realize, so so we knew data was out, out of the picture. Phone was sketchy at best. Text messages were the only thing that would come through eventually. So we started text messaging and we noticed we were getting all the messages through, but they were sometimes delayed, sometimes up to five minutes, sometimes up to 10 minutes. So we're putting this together in our head and we're like, wait a minute, let's send a text message with the timestamp. You know, just just yourself, just look, I'm sending you this message, I'm in the closet, blah, blah, blah. I told my mother, I said, "I, I know we keep getting disconnected, but I'm in this room at this hotel and it is currently, you know, 12:57. I'm just making this up. But that's that's what we would do. Just to make sure that she knew at this date, this time, this is where I was and that I was okay. So, but they did. They shut down they shut down the lights. We heard them tell them to shut down the lights. Um because they thought the shooter was in the venue. And then they realized um Oh, no, they thought the shooter might be in the venue. The second shooter might be in the venue, but they turned off the lights so that the shooter at Mandalay Bay couldn't see into the venue anymore because he was basically I mean, we were we were fish in a barrel. We were surrounded by a fence that we couldn't get out. Um, He was aiming for think about it. So he was aiming in the venue at us. He aimed at or oh, he had his backup plan in front of luxor with his own minivan full of explosives he aimed at the huge gas tanks that they were using to cook foods in the center of the the stage area um and shot at that as well but they never exploded he shot at the gas the fuel tank pardon me at the uh airport because he was trying to get us to to swarm to stay in one area so that he could continue shooting at least that's what the the police department the re- came up with
2: the report was because yeah. the tanks were behind the venue he was basically shooting at them to push us to go out towards the strip basically and funnel into those three exits
3: so he and, could and continue and, you know, yeah just, shooting which didn't work it was very diabol- diabol- diabolical yes. um but they sh- they shut down the lights because they realized that the, oh, he can see what he's shooting. So they shut down the lights. And then um, they thought he was working with somebody on the ground. So they shut down the cell the signals. So, but we were hearing, I mean, we weren't even reunited yet. So I guess, I guess for the reu- being reunited, we finally around three o'clock in the morning were able to talk to each other because the cell service had finally started to come back up. Um, people were getting off of it. Um, but, like he said, a lot of the communication was between us and my parents, to mm-hmm. each other, and then back to us. Um, we were able to talk to our our other friend was found. Mm-hmm. He had somehow made it to well, the the other couple that we were with somehow made it back to Mandalay Bay, mm-hmm. which when they went inside the front door, they said all they saw were bodies covered when they entered the lobby because people were running away from the venue. And remember those VIP section, the tent, the white tents that I was talking about. It's almost some weird godsend that we didn't get in there because most of the casualties were in that area. And those people were running away and not realizing how badly they were shot and making it inside the Mandalay Bay and just collapsing and dying. Um, Our friends made it to Mandalay Bay along with their friends. And they said the, there was just, bodies inside Mandalay Bay. Um, our friend, the, the husband of my girlfriend made it to the airport and somehow got <laughs> stuck with the FBI staging area. So we were able to, at that time, learn that LA SWAT was on the way and coming to the airport. Um, we knew that they were 21 minutes out. We knew, you know, we were getting the text messages. It was, it was kind of, uh, uh, dare I say cool at that point to know that he was there and we were getting real information it was a point. little more
2: comforting to know you know yeah. correct details versus what every everybody was talking about you know my people in the basement everybody had their own stories of what was going on and it was like well it's you know it, you just kind of took it and I was like oh, I'm just gonna put that over here you know it, it, at this point you weren't listening you're were just hearing Yeah. it's we finally got reunited, and about five, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, about about five hours after.
3: Well, and and they had finally knocked on our door. The police department came, knocked on, or no, sorry. So my girlfriend works for the emergency services down in Florida as well. Her dispatch called the hotel, and in turn called our room. And so was giving her updates because they figured out that the cell service sucked. And they were like, are you kidding me? How are you getting phone calls? She's like, I don't know. They found me. (laughs) Um, But she had heard from them that they were going to let us go soon. And so sure enough, 45 minutes later, we received a call to the room um, stating that the police department would be coming and knocking on the door. And they did come knock on the door. And I said, listen. If you are staying locally, if you are okay, if you want to go back to your rooms, you, everything is clear now and you can go, but you cannot walk. There was a straight line. When you walked out that door that we came in, there was a straight line to Luxor, but you weren't allowed to do that. Everything in that area was blocked. The crime scene couldn't go. So we, my girlfriend and I walked around and we walked, I forget the name of the street offhand, but we walked in front of hooters at the time um the hotel and walked up and crossed the street onto luxor or the the flamingo no yeah but the and then crossed the street and went into the luxor and then went through the luxor cuz i was not walking out on the street the strip and they were adamant that you couldn't walk through the hotel unless you had a wristband from the from the event or if you showed a room key
0: mm-hmm.
3: and i was like Oh my God, my room key is in my purse. My purse is in one of the lockers at the, at the venue. And, you know, Cliff, uh, you know, spoiler alert. I don't get my purse until three weeks after the event, four weeks after the event. So I, and I'm about ready to just break down and cry. I'm in I'm, I'm the strong person. I've been the strong person throughout this entire event. I've held it together. And somebody literally looked at me and says, you can't come without a key card. And I'm doing the math in my head. And I'm like, I just want to head back to my room. <laughs> I'm tired. I haven't slept. I'm, I'm not even hung over at this point. My stomach is in knots. Like I just need to get back. And they literally looked at us and they said, you're staying at Luxor. And we said, yes. And they said, just, it's okay. Just go. Cause I, my shirt's torn <laughs> almost in half from jumping one of the fences. I don't even know which one, you know, we've got blood on us. And I, all I want to do is, is get back to my room and see my husband. So, um, we're walking through, uh, Excalibur. And first of all, on the way to Excalibur, we saw two bodies covered and it was so weird. You know, because people were hurt, ran away, and then um, were no longer. And so we're just everyone's just like in a daze, just walking back. We have the blankets that they the hotel actually gave us blankets. Uh, we walked with those. Then we got to um, we got to Excalibur, and you could tell people were huddled in corners because there was piles of blankets. And people must have just gotten up and and gone. There was I have a picture of blankets just on the it's the it's not the escalator, but it's the fast walking one, right? And there's just they're off, but there's just blankets hanging everywhere. Like everyone just must have taken refuge there. And hearing about the night before and hearing all these stories, like even even in the moment people thought there was multiple shooters because people were getting shot and running away. And then they were going into the Flamingo. They were going into the Tropicana. That's the one that's on the corner. They're going into the Tropicana. They were running down to MGM. They were running down. And so people were coming in saying they were shot and the reports were coming in that, oh, there's a shooter at MGM. There's a shooter at New York, New York. There's a shooter at. And, and so when we were listening to the radio, that's how all these people, right. It, it, made its way down the strip. Um, but anyway, sorry, here we are work walking through Excalibur. We finally make it to our uh the Luxor. And our friend, the husband, wasn't released yet from the airport location, but they knew that he was going to be released soon. Um and so I just asked her, I said, do you want to go back to your room or do you want to come with me? And she goes, I just want to go back to my room he's going to be here in like 10 minutes. I forget what it was, but like, you know, he's going to be here any minute. Um, I just want to be there when I said, okay. And so I got in the elevator and I was like still super strong, you know, um, adrenaline junkie. And when I got up to my elevator spot, I told him that we were coming through. I came up to the elevator, the doors open and he was there. And when I tell you, I cried and we collapsed and the two of us were just like, oh my God, what just happened? I mean, that was like five, five thirty yeah, in the morning. So it
2: was about five, five thirty. And everything had started at 10, 10.04. 10, 10, 10 from the time that we so the time we separated it was probably a quarter after ten. We we never saw each other until that moment. And it was just such a relief. You know, you can you can text back and forth, you know, and, Think that it's you know, but until you actually see that person physically and can touch them and hold them, it, it just the reassurance. It, so it, it was a completely different feeling. Yeah, it was yeah. almost
1: eight hours, right? Yeah. hours. Yeah, like, almost. Eight. Yeah, like okay.
2: eight.
3: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think. Trying to do math, <laughs> but uh, so that's
2: that's our hour and a half explanation of what happened.
3: <laughs> well, it, it didn't stop there no. though. So so I. First of all, it was the first time when when I was in the room, we both got met, We did this thing, and I'm I. You want to talk about a regret? I regret this. I think you do too. Um, what happened was we had these wristbands for the event, and he looked at me. He's like, "I want this thing off right now." Like that was that was the immediate response. I want it off. I don't want to remember this event. I just I need it off. I need it off. Please get it off me right now. So we cut ours off and threw them in the garbage. Now knowing now a lot of people kept them on and they kept them on for a year before cutting them off or they kept them on until they went to therapy and they, they processed everything and they felt better and then they took it off. Some people left it on until they healed. And I don't know when I would have kept mine on until, but I don't think I was ready that day to part with it. But I did it because you, I was like, well, I'm the person in a relationship who holds on to everything. And so maybe he's right. Maybe I just need to let this go. And I did, and I was like, "I regret that a lot. Um, now we the, we were like, we should probably take a shower. We should pro- we should probably because, you know, we knew our plane was supposed to leave at eight thirty um ish, and I didn't have my purse, and we didn't know how we were going to get home or through security. Um, and I couldn't think anymore. I'm exhausted. We're exhausted. Um, we're still, we, I don't even ask me to process what on earth just happened. Um, and I started taking off, you know, getting undressed to go take a shower. And he looked at me and he was like, good God, are you okay? And I was like, did I miss something? You know? And sure enough, from jumping the fences, my abdominal, my whole abdominal area from across the, like from my belly button, it was just black and blue. It was totally black and blue. Um, and then I had one good size mark on my thigh as well. Thank God, nothing punctured, but, um, you know, it was, I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. And then I, but I looked down and I was like, well, I'm sure it's fine. Cause I'm not in any pain. I, I don't think. And then I was like, yeah, but I'm also in shock. I was like, yeah, but let me just take a shower. I mean, like it was totally, I, we made it this far. Let me just take a shower, please. And so I took a shower and I was like, no, I feel fine. We're going home today anyway. It'll be fine. And so you took a shower as well. And then we went down for breakfast Mm -hmm. and we're down in the Luxor at breakfast and our friends come and join us because they're going to hop on a plane too. And, um, we're in the middle of breakfast and one woman comes running up.
2: Like screaming coming through the buffet area, and we're like, What is happening? And all of a sudden, security comes in <laughs> and escorts everybody outside. Like, and get we get to go out, in the basement, everybody out. We're like, What? And we out and across the street. We went outside.
3: We went in the basement. Yeah. Cause you were like, I was in here last night. Oh,
2: yeah. And it was some kind of scare. They never really told us what, but. After about three, four minutes in the hallway, everybody's like, okay, you're clear. You can go back. And we had to walk outside and then back into the venue. And I was like, I'm done. I want out of here. I'm I'm done with this place. I I just, I don't want to be here anymore. I
3: don't want to be here.
2: Let's let's pack up and get out. I don't care if we can't get on our flight. We're getting out of this hotel. And we ended up not being able to get on our flight. (laughs) But our friends from Pennsylvania... Who had missed their earlier flight
3: <laughs> got our seats. we
2: able to get on our flight and got our seats. Yeah, so it all worked out. You know, they were able to get home, yeah. and then it just it.
3: So we we go we take them to the airport, We take the couple that we came with from Florida to the airport. We find out about our friends from Pennsylvania getting our seats. We kind of laugh it off a little bit, and um, we're on our way to the airport and we realize I don't have anything. On me that identifies me at all. Nothing. I have nothing. And in my moment of, you know, listen, I work I worked in the airline industry for 15 years and I did do some security projects. And I get what you need to board a plane. And in my extremely exhausted state, I was like, I we can't board the plane. And he's like, why not? I was like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to get home? So we're like trying to figure out how my parents can overnight my passport. And then I'm having anxiety because what if it gets lost? Like we're, I'm having, I'm just having issues. So we go back to Luxor or no, we actually went to Excalibur. We went to Excalibur because Luxor was sold out. And we go to Excalibur and we said, listen, we need to stay. I need to stay an extra night, just, just an extra night. We need to figure out, I I need to sleep and I need to figure out a game plan because I can't think straight. And they said they were sold out, but they totally understood what happened. And so she went back and was she? She called New York, New York, next door, and said, "I got people here, and I think, I think we got charged thirty-five bucks for the night. Mm-hmm. We stayed at we stayed at New York, New York for the night in a very nice room, not a suite or anything, but in a nice room um, for less than a hundred dollars. All said and done, taxes, you name it." And, um,
2: they got it. They, they, understood. they, got it. they, they were just, they were the, the level of compassion and it was amazing. Just realizing, you know, they, they, they got it and it's, it wasn't typical. They, you know, it was like, you know, come in give us your money and, you know, and leave. And they were like, nope, the hospitality level
3: was amazing.
2: Exponentially. Like it was, it was really kind of cool.
3: So uh, I, and, I, I will say saying that night, was you got really mad that night at dinner and even the next morning.
2: We we came downstairs, you know, we, we had finally gone upstairs and taken a nap, basically. You know, it was Ugh. like 2.30 nap, you know, we, we finally came down and just were able to crash. crash. <laughs> so we come down, we're like, we need to eat. We, we need to eat something. We haven't eaten since, you know, 5 p.m. the night before, you know, and pile booze on top of that and then the adrenaline and then just and then finally you know half eating during breakfast and then getting escorted out and so and of all places we got to stay in new york new york you know that's where we're from you know we're, we're back home you know this it was it was kind of a comforting comforting feeling and we get down go down to the to the lobby and the doors open up and we walk out and it was like nothing ever happened all these people were gambling, they're eating, they're having a good time, they're doing anybody just like I was just like, Don't you people know what just happened less than 24 hours ago here? You know, and like but Sunday, this was a whole new group of people. It's Monday everybody, morning. it's Monday morning. Everybody that was coming for the week comes in, you know, on Sunday, you know, and it just they had no idea. They they had an idea, but it didn't affect them, yeah, you know? and just it, it made me kind of angry. You know, I was like, "You should be mourning. You should be sad. You should be fearful for your life." You, should, you know, and they're gambling, they're eating, they're drinking, they're having a good time, and I was, it, I was almost jealous of, of that. You know, I was like, it, this, "This is the 48 hours ago. This is where we were at. Yeah. You know, and now we're, we're now a part of this, this little community that." Experienced this, and now everybody else is just like, kind of, oh, that happened. You know, that that sucks. Yeah. You know, like it it just didn't phase them at all, and it was really kind of.
3: I I remember, you know? yeah, I remember when we came back. All right, so so backing up a little bit, we dropped our friends off at the airport, and we're on our way back. And before we go to Excalibur, we actually tried getting into Tropicana first because it was closer to the airport. It was a cheaper hotel. I was just trying to get in there. But they were sold out, and I remember he went to go to the bathroom. As so, we get up there. We're told they're sold out, um, and he's like, "I have to go to the bathroom." And so I'm just on the floor, inside the door in the casino. But like, I'm just kind of sitting there and just again exhausted, trying to process this. And I remember looking up the TV because I heard I heard the noise. Highly sensitive to this noise at this point because I, you know, start to have a little twitch and. I just looked up and, you know, I swore I saw our group on this video because going back to what he said about the Coca-Cola things to our left, they were these mini containers and they stacked two on top of each other and had, had a third. Uh, so two on the bottom, one up top and it was supposed to be this two-story suite that you could get for wh- however much. And you were supposed to have this balcony. And that was the whole like thing of it. And then down below, you could walk out into your own patio. And it was, it was you know, it, it, it's a small area. But, you know, I, the video was taken from somebody who was up in the Coca-Cola uh, on the second floor looking down. And they were looking down into our area. And I remember watching it. And not only is the sound triggering me. But now I'm like looking at it like, oh my God, that was us. And it was really just this, like, I couldn't process it. And I remember somebody walking by, watch looking at it too and going, oh yeah, that happened last night. Oh yeah, that sucks. What? what you? I You know, it, it had to, like, if I wasn't so exhausted, I would have stood up and but my anger would have gotten the best of me and just been like, and you want to know how much it sucked? You have no idea how much it sucked.
0: You know, and, but, I really don't understand how people can have that. It's so just So dis- disconnected from it. It's like, yeah. I yeah. don't, I don't understand.
3: Like considering it happened the next morning, like mm-hmm. you would never walk into a hurricane
0: mm-hmm.
3: area, you know, walk around the beach, everything's thrown all over the place and just go, yeah, man, heard that happen last night. That sucks. What? Yeah, it did. Oh, the news, the news coverage of like, as it was unfolding versus what actually yeah. happened.
0: You know, you got bits and pieces of information that night and, and like conflicting information because you also then came across people who weren't at the, you know, at the festival who were getting information. And, you know, there's the information that you guys were receiving versus what people who were around you at the time were receiving versus like your family and friends who were, you know, across the country. And so how did that compare to then, you know, seeing it on the news like a day or two later?
2: knowing now our story and seeing what we saw and then getting my information from my guys back here my girlfriend know, which, getting her information which we believed to be accurate it's coming from a government you know technically a government agency you know like and and our girlfriend from Florida she's part of a private sector that works for a government agency like it, so we, we believed that this information was accurate Correct. And now, with the exception of a few small pieces and details, like a lot of the information that we were getting was kind of inaccurate, uh, you know, at, at, times. At, at times, very inaccurate. And, you know, the reports from multiple shooters. And, you know, the, the well, the, the bomb scare was a, a credible threat, but it wasn't, you know, we were led to believe that it was in the building, not out in the parking lot you know and just as time went on as the the details started to come out and then yeah it was kind of contradicting of what we were we knew you know we lived it we knew what was happening and then the details were kind of like well they they said it lasted 15 minutes it felt like two hours you know we like i looked at my watch i was like it was an hour later and i was i at the time i still remembered hearing gunshots and i was like They said gunshots only lasted for 15 minutes. Like the the perception of time really just threw everything off as well. But then I think the the last, well, the last big piece of it was when the Nevada, um, Las Vegas police came out with their official
3: official report. Yeah.
2: And 35 pages or so, you know, it was like probably the hardest thing I've ever read in my life. With pictures with pictures and not of of him but you know of just everything in the room and you know explaining in detail and all of a sudden it really started to make sense yeah you know but this was months later that this report finally came out so there was a time of of uncertainty of what to believe and what to you know
3: do you even believe yourself because you know what you know well don't you like that's, that's what really kind of messes you up a little bit was you're always sure, you know, you put that laundry basket over here. And then somebody's like, no, you didn't. And you're, it, 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 it kind of messes with your brain a little bit and you go, but I know what I know. And they're like, yeah, but you kind of didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And you you start to question everything about your, your sanity. <laughs> you're Like, okay, I, I, I'll give it to you that maybe I put it somewhere else before I put it there, but I swore I put the laundry basket there that's what it's like. Um, because, you know, listen, during the event, during the event, it was, everyone thought it was fireworks. Everyone that we've talked to was like, I thought it was fireworks. Then I will tell you from my personal experience, I thought at some point there was a gunfight going on on the streets. Then it was, I was like, oh my gosh, there's multiple. And then even on the radio in the event, um, it, during the event, when I'm in that closet, Scanner radio, those cops were talking about. uh, I don't know if it's the police. I don't know what channel they were on. It was not my phone. But there was discussion. Maybe that's the best way to put that. There was discussion about possibly a shooter on top of the gas station and then working with somebody inside the event. Then it was no, there's somebody, there's a shooter which they knew about. I shouldn't say that. That that really was the first thing that they knew about the shooter um, coming from Mandalay Bay. They found it because of the the light reflection coming off the the window when he was shooting. So they were taking care of that. And so, and then after, like in the moment, I think, listen, being in emergency services, I get it. Sometimes you got to get there and just assess the situation. And I don't have any information to share with you because I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on myself. And you know what? I almost want to be like, you know what? Go figure it out. You know, and so, but does that cause confusion? It absolutely does. But I don't want to blame the people who are in charge for not giving us all this accurate information in the middle of of this happening. Because I'd rather they spend their energy to go, you know, take care of the problem. And that's exactly what they did. They found him. Mm-hmm. They they found the room. They, listen, there's a little bit of debate about should they have gone in sooner? Should they not have? You know, it is what it is um but the fact that they found it and they had a plan and they were getting ready to breach the door when they realized that he killed himself you know it's it, i'm okay with that they didn't wait outside for hours um
2: it was it was fast it was fast it, it, it was but I, in our minds obviously it felt like hours yeah but it there was no at least from what you know, obviously what we saw, like the venue was full of cops, they, and they were very well marked. You know, they had these bright yellow, yeah, neon yellow shirts. Like there was no lack of presence. You know, they they were there. No, yeah, it felt good. There, and it was, it was very comforting. You know, little did we know that 1,500 feet away, 32 floors up, that's where it was going to come from. Yeah, you know? and but oh, going back to your like, you know, what we what we saw on TV versus what we experienced. The, f- the first couple of days was pretty real. Uh, the, what they were putting up on.
3: The personal on videos. The personal videos. Yeah. That that was real. Yeah. That's
2: that's what.
3: How I remember it.
2: The the sound and the chaos and the pandemonium was yep. very, very real. To the point where like we didn't watch the news for a couple weeks. We couldn't. Nope. It was just too triggering and just.
3: We had to stay off Facebook too. Because mm-hmm. um, at, at the time Facebook was the. A big thing. And we had to stay off because everybody and their brother suddenly was an expert and oh, uh, you should have known. Oh, uh, you know, not, nobody came at us and was like, how dare you not know? But we did get some questions about like, how didn't you know? And I didn't mind that. I didn't mind people going, Shannon, you know what a gun sounds like? Why didn't you? And, and it's okay for me to go, yeah, but you know what you're not considering is the fact that the distance between the, I'm not offended by it at all. What was getting me was these people that go, how couldn't you know? How didn't you know? They're the same people that go, Hey, you're an abusive relationship. Why don't you just leave? Like, it's that same condescending attitude. Like I'm so smart. You're so stupid. You know, I would have known exactly what to do in that situation. And I would have done it perfectly. And you're just stupid. You know, that that's the same attitude that we were getting, we were seeing from other people on Facebook and one of our own Facebook groups that it's not our Facebook group, but a group that I'm a part of, you know, raunchy humor type stuff. And they put up a beer mug with a bullet through it. And it said, Jason Aldean concert, newest mug. And I literally flipped out on them and I said, little too soon. And we were there and I can't, you gotta go, I can't do this. And the administrator, who's a friend of ours actually took it the whole thing down and she goes, we're so sorry, she, it, it, she didn't put it up. She didn't put it up, but- um, She moderated know, it. She moderated and it and quickly, she took care of quickly it.
2: quickly shut it down. You know, it's no terrible. It's-
1: In terms of people who do come out of the woodwork and yeah. offer strategies and techniques for, you should do this, or this is how you prepare for something like this. What do you say to them, you know, as professionals in the emergency response industry or field?
2: sad. I mean, we used to say that there is no way to prepare for this. There, there's no way you could prepare. No, you know, there's no way you would know what to do. Sadly, in this day and age now, um, this is becoming a very frequent yeah. thing. And law enforcement and fire department, EMS, they have a plan now for what they're going to do whether it's followed through or not, you know, it's it, but there is a plan in place, but as a, just as a civilian going into this, like people's, you know, the, the Monday morning quarterbacks of, you know, well, you should have done this. You should have done this. There's, there's no, every situation is different. You You don't know how you're going to react. You know, you look at the school shootings where you have nowhere to go. Like, unless you're jumping out the window and going down to the ground, like, and we technically had nowhere to go, you know, with the gates, you know, we couldn't get out the gates. But the, I think the biggest thing we tell people, at least that, that I've been telling people, is just stay, it's going to sound so cliche, but just stay ever vigilant, you know, constantly looking, you know, being aware of your surroundings and knowing where the exits are and knowing how, if, just, just to be not hyper-focused, but just take your own life and safety into account everywhere you go.
3: Responsibility. and
2: Responsible for yourself. And obviously responsible for others. You know, if you're with a group, say, Hey, how are we getting out of here? God forbid something happens. You know, you don't want to be negative Nancy all the time, but it's just being cognizant of your situation all the time. And it's ever-changing, but you need to just be that person and an advocate for yourself and for other people.
3: I mean, even, even when doing drills with the fire department. Okay. Um, we don't do it. The way I look at it is we don't do drills. We drill with a car that's facing this way with another car here. Right. And that's the scenario that those details, it's exactly like this. And then we would roll up on the scene and we would do ABC and But I think the point is, is that you're going to go out into the wild and it's going to be Friday night and everyone's going to go out to the country, right? You know, for us, it's up to the Catskills and the Adirondacks and a car accident is going to happen. It's not going to be just like the way you drilled. It's, it's about learning the skills to think on your feet and be ready for, you know, should that situation hit and having your backup plan. And, you know, listen, after the event, a lot of people, you know what went on big? Trauma packs. People were like, here's, they make them small. They make them really small. Like, it's it's got like a mini tourniquet. It's got some Band-Aids. It's got, you know, like, you know, some gauze. And people were like, here's a-
2: Rubber gloves. Yeah, rubber (laughs) (laughs) gloves.
3: But I mean, they were little kits that were maybe 20 bucks. And in our community, you know, people went out and bought them. Why? Because it might happen again. And listen, it might, you, you don't know. And, and, but there's something to be said about a comfort in your head to help quell that, that voice when you've lived through something like that, to just say, next time I'm going to be prepared next time. I'm going to, I'm going to have that kit for us. Our phones almost died. And I remember specifically on Friday night or pardon me, Sunday night, looking to him and he's like, I got 30% battery right before Jason Aldean started and I was like, yeah, I, you know, I'm at 50%, but I'm going to charge my phone. And he looked at me and I was like, do you want to charge your phone? He goes, nah, it's just one more concert. Uh, You know, we're going to go back to the room and I'll charge it there before we leave in the morning. Okay, no problem. Guess what? In that situation, his (laughs) his phone died. Mm -hmm. We have Android phones. Nobody in Vegas. An Android charger, and we were up Shit's Creek without a paddle. And so now, you know what my little tick is. My tick is, do you have a battery pack charger? That's my. That is my preparedness. Is just to make me feel safe. That's in my mind. That's what makes me happy. And says, is my phone charged? And do I have a charger if it goes down? And um, we're approaching the five-year anniversary. That's still my thing. The other thing was um, I don't know why, but you know, I memorized that map and thank God I did because I knew exactly where the exits were. I don't know why I memorized the map, but let me tell you something. When we went back six months later to kind of retrace our steps and it was part of our healing process. It's something we decided to do. Um, let me tell you, we went to a concert, we met other survivors and we went inside of Stoney's, which is a very popular bar there to go see Morgan Whalen. And, you know, you bet Guess where we all were? I we didn't even realize that we all did it. And then we started joking about it. We were all by the exit. Why? Because we're not going to get caught, you know, with the pants down again, so to speak. These are the things that, you know, you start to realize you start to do. And it's not that, you know, maybe you don't stand by the exit, but gosh darn it, you're going to know where that exit is. You're going to have that battery pack. You're going to have that cute little, you know, two inch by two inch medical kit in your purse. Why? Because God forbid something happens. And I I think that's it. You know, that's the only thing that if, if anybody, if anybody needed any advice is just nobody, thank God everyone came together. But at the end of the day, you need to depend on yourself and you need to be responsible for yourself. You know, not responsible for your spouse, but you need to, you know, have an agreement. Um, you got kids, you, you know, better have enough for the kids. Those those are all things that nowadays, that's kind of what you need to do. Um, and as for the naysayers or the the people who are Monday morning quarterbacking, listen. Some of them, um, I think, I think the just in the in the beginning, it's triggering. All right, mm-hmm. at least it was for ninety nine point nine percent of us. It was triggering. Um, the rest of us were in denial and came out later on. There was a lot of people who were just in denial just went back to work, just did whatever. And by not addressing it, um, they were relapsing or, or running into issues. I would say it took about three to six months later, but you started to see them coming out of the woodwork. People in our community started having issues and and all of a sudden they were like, I thought it was okay. And it was like, well, yeah, you, you kind of buried it. And it works for a while. It works for a while. I'm, I'm not, you do what you got to do, but then it it comes out. So, but I, I, you know, the naysayers, uh, I think they they are triggering. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to you have to almost take a step back, and before you lash out or do whatever it is that you do when you respond to something like that, because uh, that's how I respond. You have to pause, take a deep breath, step back, and go: Are they really naysayers, or are they just asking a question? Like those people who are like, "Shannon, you know what a gun sounds?" They were not being negative or putting me down. They were legit trying to learn more about the situation because they cared and they wanted to, you know, there was other questions, by the way, that came out of that, that follow with, well, how can I help? How can I, you know, and identifying who is a naysayer and who is just generally trying to learn more about the event and the situation. So that's,
2: there was a lot of, you know, people are going to ask either too much Not enough or nothing at all, and we had a lot of people that just didn't know what to ask, so they just didn't talk about it. And it hurts. It kind of you know talking about is the best way to get it out is to talk about it and get it out. You know, and you know, I had a couple friends who just didn't really know what to say, but they wanted to know, and I would start to you know to talk to them about it. You know, just it would very brief details, and then you know. You read body language, you know. Yeah, and they're looking with that inquisitive, and it's like, okay, do you want me to go into a little more detail? Well, and I was like, if it's too much, just tell us, you know. And it's, but then there was the people that were asking, like, you know, what did it look like when you know you saw it happen? And it's like, do you really want to know? Like, you know, are we are we at this level? You know, and it's some of the people, you know, wide-eyed and like, oh my God, I can't believe you're telling me this. And then there's the other people oh, I want more detail. I want gory details, you know, just reading people and, you know, yeah. and them reading us. It, w- it was the challenge more, more than anything. You know, was, we're, we're open to talk about it. We're always, you know, and it's, it's not now. I mean, now we're, we're definitely open to, but there, there's still people that I work with that have questions every once in a while. Yeah. and it's it's five years later and
3: i think it's great i think it's great every day of occupational not every day sorry and i don't mean like every day but like i think on that level of like low profile you know every day chit chat is kind of how i mean it you know uh therapeutic occupational therapy to talk about it in a safe way um but i would caution anyone who's going through this to not use your peers as therapy. There's a difference between being okay with it and chatting. Like we're chatting about it. We still have a little bit of response, even sitting here telling you our story. It's empowering, but our heart is racing a little bit. You know, um, I, you guys can't see it, but I'm actually like, you know, rubbing his leg every once in a while because you start to pick up on cues, but it is, it is really empowering to go out and tell your story because it validates you, it validates your experience, you know, and it makes sure that something that really left a heck of a mark on you is not forgotten. It doesn't have to come up every day, but, um, it, it, it's like, gosh, thank you, you know, for, for bringing this up for, for acknowledging, just acknowledging, you know, that something like this happened and, and, but, you know, I think it's okay because it, I don't know how to put it. Like, it it's good. You ride a bike every day because, mm-hmm. you know, or, or every once in a while to keep your skills up and it's good to keep our responses down too. Yeah.
2: It's, it's almost a good coping.
3: coping yeah. Mechanism. Like, I don't know.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And cause if okay. I didn't talk about it for months on end, I probably would have, but going to therapy is where the real work is done. You go to therapy so that you can talk about this in a constructive manner instead of like talking about it to get it out and to cry about it or yell about it or whatever
1: versus. If you push things under the rug long enough, right? Eventually it's going to come out the other end in heaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a good analogy, but basically yes, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean.
3: Explosive. Like yeah. we were seeing people get explosive with their anger and then the community was just like, oh, you just, okay. All right, well, come on over here. You know, welcome right. back to the group. Mm-hmm. We meet on Tuesdays. There's cookies over here. You know, like it, nobody got angry that you were that you weren't dealing with it on their schedule.
0: It was right. People deal with things on their their own time. Like it, everybody has like a different way of coping. And some people like reach that stage of like, okay, I need to go to therapy. They do that mm-hmm. first. Some people aren't like that. They want to hold it in, and right. then later, they, everybody's right. on a different level. Yeah, yeah.
2: it's yeah, everybody's got their own tick. You know what makes them or, you know, what makes them tick? And there's definitely a large, I'd say there's a large factor of the survivors that, you know, that we've encountered that have not gone to therapy. Yes. Really? Yeah. Yep. And they are dealing in their own, um, it, it's constructive for them, you know, and i am a strong proponent of going to therapy, and you know i I used to like I was so against therapists and psychologists, and they're like they always create problems, you know this is they bring up old dirt, you know just to rub it back in your wounds and and now that I've gone through professional therapy it is amazing absolutely amazing how well it works and it worked for me it might not work for some right. people you know getting out and you know going back to concerts might be their therapy or you know like our first concert six seven
3: yeah sorry, the following some, summer
2: yeah it was the following our first concert was jason aldean
3: because we were going to finish the concert
2: and we wow. had church made up. You know, we're here to finish what we started. You know, and it was right here at Bethel. You know, and thank God it was close to home. It was wide open area. You know, as we were, we had a support uh, team, a huge support You know, group with us, and we tailgated and you know, it was it was coming back to normalcy. You know, after we had done some therapy, <laughs> you know, and we were able to make those progressive steps, and it, it just really it. it it works. Therapy works. Yeah. And I mean, it, it kind of goes back to the mental health aspect of this country. You know, it's so poo pooed. If you go to therapy, you know, why do you go to psychologists? Why do you go to a therapist? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really just needs to be normalized and you know, it, it's okay to go yeah. to therapy. It's okay to talk. It's okay.
3: It's and it's okay to go
0: when you're ready to go. I was just going to say, like, I was going to ask you how long it actually took for you guys to, like, kind of realize that that's what you needed to do.
2: And it was a little earlier than I was. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, well, yeah. well, I so we came back. We um, we did talk to a crisis management team from our local sheriff's department. And they, um, first of all, left our session <laughs> and called their boss and said, forget it. You're getting the report tomorrow. We need a drink. Um, because we, you know, when you go into that survival mode, um, I have to remember every single detail because it might be important later on. Right. So we're still in that vigilant mode. And I want to say it was like two days later, we're going, we we met with the crisis team Oh no, it was the it was next Thursday. day. It it was, yeah, it was Thursday. Um, we met with crisis team, and we needed somebody to drive us, by the way. I don't know who was able to function afterwards because we would drive somewhere. we weren't even driving. We were passengers in the car, and we were exhausted. Um and I said, that's it. I can't because everywhere you're looking, you're just you're you're hyper vigilant on everything. And um you're worried about a car crash. You're worried about the plane crashing because we we'd take plane home. We were, you know, you were everything it's gonna everything's gonna, go to shit. Like that's where your brain is. Cause it's in hyper protective mode. Um, I mean, you were at a concert where you were in hyper low mode <laughs> and, and that happened and you're not going to be caught off guard again. Right. You know? So for people that have that type of brain, we were exhausted. Mm-hmm. And when we went and we did that debrief, um, and then we talked to him one other time. I think it was one other follow-up yeah we did a follow-up and then we
2: did a follow-up in a public place yes with them kind of like their process you know and the third the follow-up in the public you know I I think we went to a diner you know a very busy diner and Mm. it was exhausting we were there for a half an hour and it was
3: I think we went home and took a three-hour nap we couldn't we were so tired yeah But from that, we said we needed therapy and they put us in touch with a woman who, um, was a very sweet older woman. And, um, we started telling stories and she, her eyes started getting wide and, um, I started to feel bad. I was like, can you not, can, can you not handle this? Like, and I think that was our lesson learned with that. And, and probably the most frustrating thing is just because you call up a therapist and go, go to therapy doesn't mean it's the right therapist for you or for what you're going through. (laughs) And that is daunting. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your trauma is. I don't care anything. It is exhausting. And, and I feel like probably a lot of people, at least me, I'm going to talk for myself. Now I understood why people went through two or three therapists before they got to their therapist, because I knew I probably should have gone to therapy before this, you know, for some other stuff, but it wasn't really high priority and it's fine. And I was doing a real good job of putting all, you know, my trauma in a box and putting it up on the shelf until this event. And I, we found this woman and I was like, are you okay? (laughs) So, and it was daunting. We finally found a woman who was willing to take us and, um, or take me because he didn't, he, he found another guy and he was going to go to this other, this other gentleman who was a, it, he wasn't a therapist. He was a social, he was like getting ready to retire. Okay. So just to set the stage there. And so I was going to mine and then I started doing this thing called EMDR. Um, and EMDR was amazing.
1: Oh my gosh. It was amazing. Um, what is EMDR? And, oh, I've, 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 I've had to do that once it's oh my god. what is a rapid ID sensitive?
3: Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to, he's Googling it now.
2: Oh, yeah, I was like, I'll look it up too. Yeah. (laughs) Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just Google that later.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Your eyes are closed and you're doing either a tapping or, you know, some kind of just repetitive. Okay.
0: Okay, got it.
2: It's, you know, as you're telling your story, you know, or as you're, you know, you're working on, and you work on blocks, you know, and.
3: That's probably the one bad thing about it personal
2: unpacking and repacking and unpacking. And then once you're done, you pack it all in a box and you just kind of put it up on the shelf. And this is the analogy that mine.
3: Yeah. Mine too. too. Yeah.
2: And you take it and it's up in the box. You can pull it down and look through it whenever you want, but you've dealt with it.
3: And it's okay. And it's Over,
2: over a period of time, you know, and it's.
3: So probably the most frustrating thing for me with the EMDR was. So. So the first session that I went through and and he did as well um, and Shani, maybe same thing, but they, they go, okay, so today we're going to learn the ground rules and we're going to establish your safe space. And so you're basically learning that it's about alternating, like even on your legs, you can do it yourself. You can tap yourself. So as you're telling the story, the idea is that it's going to calm down. Mine had electronic like buzzers and it would buzz buzz oh, buzz yeah, buzz and so yeah alternating so it would just i would just hold it and it would do that and she said if you're ever in a situation where you, you don't have this you you can just do it yourself as you're telling the story and it's supposed to calm you um and then they go through exercises where they say listen we're going to create a safe space because if it gets too much we're going to go to your happy place <laughs> for lack of
2: better terms. So cliche. Yeah. It's
3: just like, think of the person that makes you the happiest could be real or not. And then think of a place that makes you happiest, real or not a color. And there was something else. And then, so the idea is that you have these things in your toolbox. Um, I did the EMDR first and I was telling him, I'm like, what's your therapist doing with you? And he's like, Meh, And I'm like, yeah, I think you need to find another therapist. And what had happened was it was 4th of July and the fireworks were happening and he was on in bed shaking. And I looked at him and I said, and meanwhile, I had done the EMDR. And so it was affecting me, but I was, I was using the tools in my toolbox. I was okay. Like I wasn't like, okay. Okay. <laughs> but it wasn't great. But I was like, I know what this is. I can go outside and take a look at what it is. I can acknowledge it. I'm here. I'm breathing. I'm, you know, they, they go through the whole like sensory thing. Right. And I'm working through this and he is in a puddle in our bed, just shaking. And I'm like, I
2: do know. Just in a ball. You were in a ball. We can leave that part out. <laughs> <laughs> leave out the puddle of sweat. Okay.
3: But he doesn't, he doesn't like the puddle, please. But I mean, like you were, he he was curled up in a ball and just like shaking and like literally saying, "I don't like it, I don't like it," but I'm okay. And I'm like, "Yeah, no, you're not okay." Um, And so it spurred him to find somebody who did the EMDR and to go through the process. And and he did amazing. You did amazing. Like we're we um, the
2: therapist basically said to you, she was like, "You are textbook for this this process." She goes, "It, it, it took about eight nine weeks yeah yeah it was about a two two and a half month process but at the end of it it, the weight off my shoulders was unreal you know and kind of not to go too deep in it but like I resolved some issues with you know friends of ours that I, I was having some issues with you know and like I was able to come back to that and just recognize it and clear it out of my head and you know felt a million times better and the you guilt know, but, and the guilt was gone you know there's it, you know and they say survivor's guilt it, it, it's a very real thing yeah you know it, it's very real you know like we were four people away from the you know one of the first people that got shot like why what we were over there earlier in the night and then we kind of shifted like what what if we stayed there you yeah. know like it just that whole survivor's guilt mm-hmm. mentality is very, very real. Um,
3: it's, yeah. I didn't have guilt per se, but I definitely had, it, I wouldn't call it guilt, mm-hmm. but it was, it was like that, what you just said mm-hmm. about, Oh my God, that could have been us. Mm-hmm. And followed by this was such a senseless act. Like, I'm not like, Ooh, thank God it wasn't me that is not the attitude um and the guilt for me came from this society expectation that i was supposed to feel a certain way like oh so that happened you're supposed to have guilt and if you don't have guilt that means you wanted the other person to die no uh, no 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 that's not what that means at all that just means that i'm I, i'm i don't feel guilty that i'm not the one who died uh i'm grateful to be alive here today and to help the way we have helped and to get through this process. Um, however, I'm still pissed at the shooter because other people had to lose their lives. That's what that means. And I think I, I, I hate that society tells us that we're supposed to feel a certain way. Anybody's supposed to feel, Oh, in this situation, you're supposed to feel this way. No. And by the way, um, I might, but I might later, you know, and if you don't feel this way, like, honestly, survivor's guilt, I hope nobody feels survivor's guilt. Um, truly, because I've known people who have committed suicide because of survivor's guilt. Is that what you want? No. No, that's not what I want. I want you to be mad at that person who decided to do what he did that night. And I, I want you to be grateful and do something positive with your life. That's what I want. You know, um, you shouldn't be feeling guilty because you didn't get shot too. That's it's not a game. Nobody wins here um at all. So um I think that's really powerful but i think um support by the way support afterwards sucked i will say this um unfortunately we've had so many of these mass events um and i hate that everything is a, a mass shooting now um you know, three people got shot and it's a mass shooting i don't know what the the tie off is but it's really diluting what the term mass shooting actually means um Granted, ours is the worst in American history, and I hope it continues to be the mass, uh, the, the worst in American history because God forbid that anybody else has to experience this. Uh, this is horrible. Um, hopefully we'll start to see the end of this. I know we probably won't, but you know what? I'm gonna put good vibes out there. Um, but for as much that has happened, the fact that we don't have a system in place to respond to this um, when it first happened, when we were sitting in that hotel room at New York, New York afterwards, just decompressing as much as we could, we were told that they actually put out there, they said, unless you have been shot and, and, and or injured, and unless you were a family of the deceased, you should, you know, don't call them. Um, they're too busy dealing with the deceased and those severely injured. And there was people severely injured, right? Um, and, but for the rest of us, um,
2: we, we had nowhere to go. You
3: had nowhere to go. You had no resources. Um, you were good enough. Just try to get home on your own, you know? Um, and that was, that was painful. And it wasn't until a couple weeks later, um, when they put together, um, it wasn't the Las Vegas resiliency center at the time. Um, but they did form something where they were like, okay, now you guys can come to us. And I don't want to put them down because first of all, The Resiliency Center, what what it's turned into today, and even in its early stages, has been a godsend. Um, You can go there for financial resources, medical resources, mental health resources, you name it. Um, You just have a question about where the memorial garden is, because there's a memorial for us um, in Vegas. They they will do anything. You want to stop in and say, hi. We went in there, every single time we've been there, we've tried to go in there, and they always make time for you. They always say hi. They always give you a snack. Like, which that's really how you get me. You, you give me a snack. Um, (laughs) but they always took care of you, but I, you know, going back to this, they have been, they should be the template for this because let me tell you something after an event like that, everybody should have that opportunity and and have that welcoming thing. That is not what happens after this event. That is not what happens. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of people going, Oh shit, I guess we got to do something you know what, there should be a playbook in place. And the only thing you should be figuring out is who are you going to pull off of their current job to go fill that real quick while you, while you figure out the long-term plan. Starting from scratch every single time uh, of of support and everything that I just mentioned, that's unacceptable at this point in the game. Mm -hmm. Columbine happened in 1999. That was one of the very first mass shooting events, especially in a, in a, a school. And unfortunately it's only gone up since then why don't we have something in place they're so worried about gun control which i'm not here to debate the gun control piece but why are you so focused on that and you're not focused on these victims that you're leaving high and dry whether they're injured or not this is Mm -hmm. crazy There's,
2: there's there's almost no victim advocacy for for any of this and like shannon said the other the the vegas the process was a little slow to start but now they've got a process you know mm-hmm. and if that can get implemented into god forbid this ever happens again you know it, there's there's some form of structure that, that everybody can follow and you know just get the process moving a little bit further like thank god you know the it's really good and, you know we're keeping receipts for everything and you know we're in therapy sessions and this and that and we thank god we did for those first couple of weeks because we were able to submit them finally and they said, you know, it took a little while to get, you know, Mm -hmm. the ball rolling on it, but they took care of us, you know, and
3: they've got it down to a science now. They, they really should be a template in my opinion, um, for it. So that's, that's one thing to keep in mind for, for these people. Cause if we didn't have a friend's structure, a lot of people, unfortunately turned to Facebook to these Facebook groups, because that's what they were looking towards. And unfortunately there's no verification on that. So in the beginning, when people were joining the Facebook groups, some of these people were not in attendance and who on earth monitors 21,000 people who are trying to get into a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's hard. And there were some people who, um, were taken advantage of, um, you know, articles were written right and quoted and, and yet no permission was ever given. Why? Because they saw it on Facebook. It's it's really, but people are in a very vulnerable state, and they're in a group, and yeah. these are my people, and I should be able to be able to talk about it, and you know that you get victimized all over again. So
2: a lot of a lot of poachers, you know, people coming in, just y'all you know, claiming to be victims and joining these groups and having nothing to do with it, and just taking those stories and you know broadcasting it to the world when you thought you were in a, a quote unquote safe place and right. these. You know survivor groups and right people were getting it for, fortunately it did not happen to us but you know we
3: we, we know some. we've people. heard
2: some yeah. some really horrible stories about you know it's just it's really unfortunate um but as for like support here for us it was it was very varying you know there was the people that wouldn't leave us alone <laughs> <laughs> you know because and thank god because you know they yeah. knew that we needed that yeah. support here. And then there was the people that just said nothing, did nothing like it never happened and or worse was, would
3: get together with us and wouldn't even ask us, you know, mm-hmm.
2: um, not that yeah. we wanted to talk about it, but like there, there was just a, a lot of people that just no acknowledgement of it. Mm-hmm.
3: Probably the best thing that happened was we, so we received a new um, fire truck right afterwards, um, two, three weeks later.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And we were like, okay, we're going to go. Cause it's the firehouse, you know, like, and it was, it was a small member only type of event. And so we knew there weren't going to be too many people there, but the, the people that we knew, uh, the people who were going to be there were people that we knew. And probably the best thing that happened was a couple of people just came up and hugged us and said, I'm here. And I'm so happy that you're here and I love you. And you know, and, and that was it. And I don't want to, I don't, I don't know what to say, but I just wanted to tell you that. And it was just like, Oh, thank you. Like that right there. You don't have to know what to, t- to say to me. I don't know what to say to me. I'm, I'm starting this new therapy session next week. <laughs> you know? like, I don't know. I don't know. But, um, the love and support, just the friendly love and support and just knowing that they don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, but if I need something, they're there and they're just happy that I'm here today. That, was probably the most powerful thing ever. And what did they do? They did nothing. They mm-hmm. gave me a hug and they said some words, and it was the most powerful thing ever, the best thing
2: ever. That is no something. Kidding. That yeah. is something.
0: They did do something rather than yeah. not, you know,
2: mm-hmm. say anything. Not about. acknowledge it. <laughs> Knowing that you have a support structure, I think is really like they may not, you know, like she said, they may not know what to say, but they, you know, they're there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sadly, there were quite a, not a a lot, but there were, there were some survivors that didn't have that structure and yes, you know, they're no longer with us anymore. And it's, but if they had known about the victim advocate program in Vegas, you know, or, you know, knowing that there's what, I think it's 3,100 people in this Facebook group, you know, the survivors, like we're all there. We, we, if Mm -hmm. one person to talk to and could have maybe you know, changed that course of events, um, yeah. but just knowing that you have a support structure, even if it's this big is, is huge.
3: We actually did a couple of things afterwards, therapeutically for ourselves afterward that most of the people that were at that concert, from what we can tell are from Southern California or California in general and um, Arizona. And of course, Nevada, um, there were other people, there's, Uh, one of the people who, um, passed was on that night was from Alaska. Um, you know, so these people are from all over the place. And we recognize that we're one of the few people that are from the East coast. And it was hard, especially the uh, biggest resiliency center in the beginning was doing a lot of stuff, but they were doing stuff in person. And that was hard because, Right now we have a group of probably about 120 150 ish in our east coast group um who you know are east of the mississippi so we got people well in michigan there's a couple people in michigan mm-hmm. ohio florida pennsylvania new york east coast. yeah literally all on the east coast but we also had somebody from germany she was in germany that she flew out to to go to the concert and she was just like you want to talk about isolated what, how, how do you explain that one? If you're an American, uh, what happened? Well, I went to Ireland and um, there was an explosion or there was a shooting and there you know, like how do you, and then you come home and, um, you know, I'll, I'll equate it to this. For us coming home to New York, right after 9-11, um, I flew home September 10th. And of course I get home the night of September 10th. The next morning, 9-11 happens, right? And when I tell you, it was like, I was in shock. And then a couple of days later, like my aunt was, was missing for a couple of days and thank goodness found her. But, um, you know, she was working EMS down in the city and it was just this constant, like, oh my gosh, where is it? Where's this person? Where's that person? Cause I got friends, I got, you know, family. And even a couple of days later, here I am living out in Arizona and these people are like, man, yeah. 9-11, that sucks. Anyway. Um, are, are you going to lunch? You know, and it was the same thing here where Las Vegas was still in a state of shock. New York was still in a state of shock, right? During that situation. And here we were just, you know, we're, we're still in the state of shock, but it didn't happen in New York. And everyone's just kind of like, um,
2: it it was difficult. It was very strange.
3: So we, we created the, um, we, we actually worked with a couple people that I think was there five of you that were administrators of this group, just in East coast group on Facebook. And it, you know what? It's smaller. It's better to manage. And the people that were there but don't live there and were kind of struggling, they were able to come together. And it's a little bit more manageable when you have a group that that's small. Um, the other thing that we did was we started a five k running group. We did honor fifty eight k, and for every kilometer, for every five k race, we would pull a name out of the hat. And the last two to make it a full sixty uh, to make it equal for I think it's twelve races. 12, five Ks. Um, we added our own names in, but you know, the idea is that we would run for each of the lives lost that night. And then of course for our lives, but it, it's, um, part of, uh, again, part of therapy, you don't have to go to therapy to do therapeutic mm-hmm. things. And, um, we ended up selling some shirts. It went to the survivor group, all the process of pro- proceeds. We didn't take a dime from it. Um, and there was a lot of people that participated in it. And they were like, thank God you started this because it got us up and moving. And I was like, yeah, that's what we needed too. And so that's all it was.
2: There was a little bit, you know, there's an approval process. You know, there's like three or four questions that you have to okay, answer. Good. You know, were you there? When were you, where were you? you know, mm-hmm. Just kind of just to yeah. confirm, you know, that it's legit. You know, yeah. we, like I said, we did have some problems with poachers. And, yeah. Yeah. You know. But yeah, if anybody is interested, it is a. Uh, You're more than welcome. Survivor and family of survivors.
3: Yeah. Cause that's the other thing is that people don't realize is that there's people who are at the concert that night. And then there's people who are the security, think of the security that were inside the event that were working. We have vendors that were at the event that you know, um, they're like, I didn't attend the concert, but I was working the concert. The bartenders, oh my gosh, the so what are the what are the um the can opener things called? The bar backs have them to open up beer bottles long skinny
0: oh uh, yeah the, yeah
3: that i not what
0: they're called but yeah okay yeah yeah
3: they they were selling those um on behalf of the vendors because the vendors lost everything that night they couldn't get any of their stuff for a couple weeks
0: um yeah, you don't think about you don't think no. about those people really they kind of just get lost to, to everybody right. else
2: like yeah. literally when it happened they were still making food there was still the fryers were still yeah. on the stoves were still on everybody yeah. just uh, disappeared yeah. and we're lucky half of them didn't burn down. Yeah, right. that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. Where, you know, everything was just yeah. left on and when we left. It's probably you know, their signature. They ran out of gas, but, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, I was saying it was probably their signature revenue um source too of the of mm-hmm. the year, if they've been doing it multiple years. And
2: yeah. no. Right. It really is.
3: and I mean, um, what was what was the other thing that I was um oh yeah, no, they were, they were just the first responders and you know, there's hotel staff. That mm, same thing. Yeah. They were just like, you know, they're doing triage, you know, you might be a bellhop, but guess what? <laughs> now you're an EMT go, yeah. you know, there was, it's, it's not just about people who, and and the resiliency center accepts everybody, mm-hmm. by the way, even That's if you great. weren't at the concert. Yeah. Even if you weren't at the concert, they accept. So if you were, especially the first responders, they have made it a point to let the first responders because we are the worst, right? I, I already mentioned this before that I had mentioned that I knew I probably should go to therapy, but I'm not going to go just yet. You know, it was never a priority or important. Uh, We are notorious. It's not every first responder, of course, but we
1: are notorious in our group for not seeking
2: help. We're we're usually the worst patients. We are, Uh, (laughs) are.
1: (laughs) which is, which is so important that, you know, you both are advocating for it because Uh You know, hearing it from somebody who is a first responder, that's so important.
2: Yeah. It's it's such a, I don't know the word, but it's so, like, pushed to the back burner. Like, oh, if you go to therapy, you know, you're weak. You know, you didn't get, no, sometimes you just got to get this crap Uh,
3: out. uh, Yeah. And now, I I will say, personally, now that I've gone to therapy, uh, listen, did other stuff start coming out? Yeah, it did okay but something happens when you go through therapy for this and you start to feel okay you go oh well maybe i could unpack some of this other stuff and pack it away properly instead of just shoving it in a closet closing the door and hoping that it doesn't you know explode the next time that i open up the door and and put it properly in its box up on the shelf um i think there's something to be said about about that cuz i definitely feel much better about other things in my life now that I've gone to therapy ab- about it. So, um, but it, it really helped. And and there's a lot of people that don't know what you're going through, but it, it's, it's always better, you know, whether it's therapy or whatever, whatever it is, just make sure that you're doing what's right for you. And you're not using your friends as your therapist. <laughs> that's the other thing. There's a couple of people that were trying to use people, uh, other survivors, right? Trying to use other survivors as therapists. It's not, it's not, but do you, you know, and then you start to wonder, do they realize they're doing it?
0: They probably don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it and they want to get it out. And then sometimes it may feel like nobody else wants to hear it. So it might be easier to try and talk to somebody who's been through something like that, but right. Probably not. the best.
3: Right. That perception of well these are like-minded people the therapist isn't going to understand what i went through but these people do i don't know i'm not you know i'm not saying that's what they think but right but i mean yeah.
1: yeah but then talking to somebody who has experienced it has its benefits and um yeah. costs too and one of the costs is that they're biased so you know they could judge you you know unknowingly yeah. Yeah. that's true
2: that's true having that mental awareness Mm -hmm. all the time, it, it, it can be exhausting, you know, initially, but like after a while, it just becomes routine for you and you're just constantly checking, you know, and just being, being your own advocate and then being advocate for other people who may not have this in the back of their mind, you know, like having to help all these people up over the fence, you know, and they just, they didn't know what to do. They were pushing on a gate that slides. Okay. What's the next option up and over, you know, and it just, being, being strong for yourself and then for others, you know, put your mask on or put your own mask on before helping others, you know, it's kind of, kind of that, you know, just, you're not able to help people if you can't help yourself.
3: Yeah. Um, I would say for myself, there's definitely been, I guess, just to recap a couple of things. And now that I'm thinking about this like targeted question, I have definitely changed some of my daily behavior in that Um, you know, I do bring a battery pack with me everywhere I go, even if I don't think I I'm going to need it because I don't, I don't ever want my cell phone to die. Um, there might not be service. That's a whole nother problem. Um, which leads me to, you know, he and I now when, when we go somewhere, if I go somewhere with other people, I'm like, all right, so we're going to meet back here. Right. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of me saying, okay, so we're going to meet back here, you know, right here at this spot. And if I'm not here, you know um, whatever it is. Um, I think also, you know, listen, I, I, I'm still working through stuff like this, but I have what I'm calling the negative committee in my head. Um, ever since that night, I used to be pretty, I don't want to say easygoing, right. You know, I'd go with the flow. I, I would plan, but I wouldn't plan stuff like stuff like this. Um, but now I'm like, dude, I got to know where we're going. I, you know, he wanted to go to a concert in the Gramercy theater down in New York city. And I, I was on edge the entire time being in a closed space with people like that. I didn't like it. And this is pre COVID, but I was like, I I just, I didn't like it. I didn't like that. I felt like a fish in the barrel again. Um, and it's the same thing. Like every once in a while I'll go to the gym, I'll go to the gym. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, you know, what could happen right now? I'm like, can you shut up? Like it's, it's this whole hyper vigilant working through scenarios because, and I don't think it's my brain freaking out in the sense of like that it might happen. It's, it's, or it, it does, it does do that. But what I think it's doing is like, okay, so this could happen. I'm in the gym. What if somebody comes into the gym and does, what am I going to do? That's what my brain does. It's what are we going to do? all right, well, the exit's over here and this is over here. Maybe I should work on that treadmill instead of that treadmill. And really, I need to just let it go. And I hate, I I hate that it has changed my behavior in that sense. Um, As a matter of fact, I I worked with airlines for 15 years, if not longer. I used to love to fly and I still love to travel, but I get on that plane and it is mm, borderline anxiety attack. Why? Because I am no longer in control. And I can't control the situation, and um, you know people joke about that all the time. I'm I'm a project manager, program manager. You know, I direct things by trade, and yet I don't think that that's where this came from. This has been since October 1st of 2017, and what a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of people in our community know. But not only did that happened but 11 days later my mom was diagnosed with cancer and after that you know in, in february that was october and then you know our dog died in in february and then my mom died in may i had no control over my life for that time period and you know when you have consecutive things like that not only that night but everything that i just mentioned like i had no control over anything and so i it, it manifests itself in other areas of life. And I, you know, it, that right there is a lot to work through. So, that's and it, might, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's, it makes that's you that's mad because that's not who you were, mm-hmm. you know, and you have no choice. It, it really makes me mad. Sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I already mentioned that. <laughs> it's,
0: um, it's, it's interesting. Cause I think Chandi. the other day we were talking about that when I had said like, um, like I do that like I do that the whole like going somewhere and like okay if this were to happen what would I do I that's just my default and I don't even know what happened to me like I don't recall anything yeah but that's just something that I just do I've always done that Uh yeah and I asked and and was like that's not normal
1: (laughs) yeah well also I think the people I know are just from a different they're not first responders they're not um you know they're not building they don't design buildings they're not
0: designing it's not about designing buildings like it's just it's it's just complete like and it has nothing to do with work or any kind of like it some people like you just like some people go through things and that's what happens yeah. right that's like a response and then i don't know why i do it but it, it's just like it's a thing that some people do and not everybody does that
1: right Yeah, but I think it comes out in different ways because actually a lot of the people I know in my life have had some sort of trauma, but they don't Interesting people. Yeah, well, I mean, also just (laughs) from my background, um, (laughs) but they don't (laughs) think about exits as much. Like, you know, for example, sexual assault survivors, it's they'll be looking around on the street or um, if they open the door to somebody. Mm -hmm. So it's hypervigilance which
2: is yeah,
1: yeah right and that's not being alone it, or it, room or yeah
2: it becomes a very real thing yeah it, yeah. It's, it really the hyper awareness hypervigilance it really just you know, constant it's exhausting
3: it is exhausting <laughs> for exhausting. whoever does that because your brain is just on
0: yeah it's all throttle. Moving. Yeah. yeah
3: literally a full throttle and and it takes a while like i know you were saying you don't know why you do it I couldn't figure it out, and I was because I, I was equating it to I'm afraid of flying. I've never been afraid of flying. I don't understand why I'm afraid of flying. And it took a couple times talking to my therapist and saying like, "Oh, I'm going," and she's like, "All right, you know," break. and then she goes, "Can we break down? Are you ready now to break down why you think you're afraid of flying?" And I'm like, "Yeah," because I'm really angry. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> angry. Why am I afraid of flying? I used to fly, so I like I worked. When I worked in Phoenix, I used to fly to San Diego for the day and back. We used to fly to Vegas for dinner and back. Why? Because it's a 30 minute flight. Like, we, I, why am I suddenly afraid of flying? Like, I'm not afraid of flying. And she goes, it has nothing to do with flying, it has everything to do with losing control of the situation and no longer having control. And I'm like, I don't like you. I'm leaving. Now. <laughs> you know, but she was right. <laughs> she was right. And and you know it's it's like taking the time or a third party to like kind of go, hey, dopey. You know this is really what's going on, and you don't think about it.
2: The sheriffs that we did our debrief with asked us. They're like, you know, if you guys feel comfortable, we'd like you to come talk to yeah. our SWAT team, or they call it a special operations group. That you can't be a SWAT anymore. It's <laughs> Um, bad. so that there are special, special operations group. And we came, you know, we cut, we put a PowerPoint together, you know, like we just okay. literally, and we got pictures, we got maps, we got, you know, we took all of our pictures from the weekend and like, Sounds you know, so bad, but I was so
3: excited. I was you know, like, you want to know about it? Hold on. I got a PowerPoint
2: presentation. It was, it was like a 35, 40 slide you know, presentation. And we, we brought it to these guys and we, and we played it for them and like jaws on the floor, you know, just like, you know these guys are trained for this stuff. This is what they this is what they want to go do. You know, and they were just like, "Oh my god!" You know, we never thought about it from that the civilian thing, yeah. side. You know, and it was it was really they and Shannon's gone done a couple um, presentations for yeah,
3: for women's protection, women's conceal uh, concealed carry groups. So yeah, not that you would have been able to bring a concealed weapon into the group, and nor would you have actually done anything yeah. in that situation
2: right but, but it, it's more of this the the advocacy before it you know and just getting the truth out there you know our yeah. our, our, our side of the truth you know and yeah. just letting people really know what it's like and it's
3: yeah and what the what the response is and you know. and don't think you know we talked about this but like don't think oh i know how i'd respond yeah you don't know shit um it's it, it, we thought we knew and you don't. Everyone that we who's lived through it that we've talked to, yeah, I, I know I would totally. Yeah. No, you wouldn't.
0: No, you, no, you, you wouldn't. You, you might. run through ideas in your head, but it's not. It's not reality. Yeah. Like at
3: Especially all. when you're. Listen, I think everyone had the same thing. So I'm not going to say everyone does this. I'm not a scientist. I, I don't know, but everybody was in denial as to what it was.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Everybody yeah. was in denial because. Because why would something like that doesn't fit into the narrative? I would have expected just somebody to come out and start selling cotton candy in in the crowd. I don't mm-hmm. expect somebody to come out and start shooting up the place, let alone across the street and 32 stories up. No, that was it's not in the realm of possibility. So
2: um, Every, everybody was in denial except for the one guy up by the front stage while it was happening. That was standing up while everybody was. Huddled oh, down, my God, with his beer, his beer. I mean, yeah. He was hammered, Yeah, but he wow. was just that guy that had no fear. And he was just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know. there's a picture
0: <laughs> let's go. Let's go. There,
2: let's there's let's a go picture go of it go. somewhere. Yeah. I've got It's like yeah. and everybody else is huddled down around. Like, what are you like, doing? You, are want? you Doing so
0: Somebody like uh, runs up, grabs him and just pulls him. Like, no, I think no somebody eventually
2: did. And, yeah. you know, got him obviously. Yeah, got everybody yeah that was there, afterwards. But you so know
3: what? As part of this, you guys should really read up on what this asshole did. I refuse to say his name. Thing. Yeah, I I, yeah. I refuse to give him whatever notoriety or yeah. whatever his reason is. Mm-hmm. But when you read some of the shit that this guy did between the packing his SUV or uh, minivan, sorry, outside the Luxor with what he did, um, the amount of um, guns that he had and the fact that he didn't, it wasn't just about the guns. There was. He had that he had took over two rooms and he had one as a stockpile room, he had the other as a shooting room, and he had a air handling system between the two. Like, this guy thought about shit.
2: He, and it's, the fact that the, the bellman didn't ask any questions for the amount of
0: bags that yeah, he, was he bringing up
2: into his room.
0: He kept going home and getting more bags and then like, bringing yep. them back. What, like, yep. I would have been like, hold on, sir, this doesn't even make any, like, what's happening?
2: But this doesn't make any service. You can't upset your customers to you keep center, everybody happy. Or a service elevator. Yeah. You got to keep everybody happy, keep everybody moving. That's why there's no metal detectors, you know, because they won't look good, you know. And yeah. Like, and but now there are security checks daily. I love that. They run through every you know, then knock on the door, say hello, you must Knife. open the door. You Knife. must, you know, they don't come in your room, but they take a look in and say, Thank you. They, have a good day. Yeah, it's right. um.
3: If if you will not let maid service come in, you automatically if you stay at a hotel in Vegas, if you do not have maid service come in that room and let them clean for the day, the security comes through and says, "Well, you have to do at least a security sweep then."
2: Yeah. So thing, things are changing. Things are evolving. It. You know yeah. It, it. Yeah. I hate to say, it, but not the illusion of safety, but the the. The perception of things are starting to feel safer. Yeah, you know, and it, it was a huge step. Yeah. So. so.
1: And it was. It, it, are- it's just that hotel, or um,
2: all across of the, the hotels across all the of board. Them. In, across in the board in Vegas, anyway. Okay. Yeah, that's that's huge. Not sure about other.
3: I've stayed at a couple of hotels where they've done that, but I can't tell you if it's every hotel. Yeah. Honestly, but most of the Vegas, one, especially the MGM ones.
2: You will mm-hmm. get checked
3: every single time. Every single time, they because they they also started doing it down on Fremont Street at some of the I, I'll say the lesser name hotels, but also as much as like the the Golden Nugget that's been there forever. Um, because is it the Life is Beautiful parade? Mm-hmm. I think the Life that's is what's called festival. It? festival. They they have proof that he got a room down there down on Fremont Street somewhere in that area. Mm-hmm. And that they believe he tried to do the same thing there, but he wasn't going to get as many people. So he, he switched. He,
2: he just scoped out events across the country and went to them and just, he had a plan. He,
3: he knew what he was going to do. And I mean, you want to talk about mental health. That's that right there. I, I really listen. I know this might get me in trouble and you might cut this. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care how many guns I don't care, you know, and from this event, they banned the bump stocks, Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, which that, you know, uh, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Go Mm -hmm. for it. But you know what? Nothing was going to stop this guy. This guy had some severe mental problems when it started coming out, how he was treating his, is it his wife or his girlfriend? I don't remember, Yeah, you know, treating her family, treating like everybody else around him. This, he was disturbed. That man was disturbed and should have never, you know, uh, <laughs> been in public. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how to solve the problem, but yeah. you know, if we really needed to look at, he had issues
0: and he was going to do something, and it was his yeah. life's yeah. mission to do this. Yeah, even if um, he didn't have guns, it could have been anything else. Mm-hmm. Some people, yeah, they're just mentally ill and they're going to do something Whatever they can bombs. get their hands on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. he had yeah. that car loaded up you he know, was
3: like he was gonna do it he it, didn't care
2: it's it's amazing how much these these huge small details didn't make it out to public
0: yeah
3: yeah the the, the death count did
0: oh of course that's the you know, you know that's the one thing they always want to know um, oh yeah
3: how how because it does it doesn't come out as like oh it was this i don't know how else you would have done it i'm not um in journalism and mm-hmm. i i really suck when it comes to English, except for spelling. The <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you know, I, that it, it always comes, it's America's deadliest shooting. Yeah. Nothing about anything else that happens. It it was, it's, it's America's deadliest shooting.
0: Yeah. By and, a single, that's what they want to know on the news. Okay, that's yep. just, that's yeah. the media's, you know.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Media portrayal. Is...
3: Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I, I get it. They're trying to get viewers. They're trying to get you sucked in, but. Thank you guys so much.
2: Really. This is, guys, this is, it, it's like, it's, it's almost therapeutic for us. Kind of cool. Yeah. So Thank you. It really, yeah, it really is. Like Somebody wants to hear about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also, you know, the work that you're doing with the support group, that's pretty incredible. So just the fact that you're helping people on the East coast who have been yeah. through something similar. Yeah. Because the yeah. resources are not there. So, and it's not like you guys don't have full-time jobs. So that's amazing.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, this um, this October 1st coming up in 2022 is officially the five-year anniversary. And if anybody here listening to this is interested in going, whether it's to support or because you are a victim yourself or were, were present or know somebody who's present, um, it, they don't have the full... Agenda out yet, but there are a lot of activities planned. Uh, I know there annually there is a 5K that weekend. Uh, This year it's going to be on the second, Sunday the second. They always do the sunrise ceremony on October 1st, and then they always do the reading of the names, pardon me, at the Survivor's Garden, which is um, downtown. Uh, probably uh, uh, around six or seven in the evening. Again, they haven't released that yet, but there is definitely going to be a full weekend worth of memory events. Uh, just think of it like 9 uh, 11, same thing, you know, how they have a weekend full of agenda items to cover. They they will have the same thing. So, um, highly recommend it if you would like to pay tribute or uh, experience. Just everyone who
1: shows up always shows that love. So, it's a pretty cool
3: thing. Well, thank thanks you. for
0: having us guys. It's no problem, yeah. We'd like to thank Shannon and Wayne for sharing their story with us. In a time where there's so many mass shootings taking place, so much violence, so much gun violence, these stories are difficult to hear, but I think that they're necessary to hear. It's necessary to hear how this can affect other people. What people go through in those moments, when you're you're scared out of your mind, and you don't really know what's going to happen next, and any split-second decision can mean life or
1: death. And also how this affects them for the rest of their lives, this one single incident, how they've healed or how some survivors have not healed. And all the amazing work that Shannon and Wayne are doing on the East Coast to help provide support and resources to survivors of the Las Vegas
0: shooting. And speaking of resources, we will have a number of resources on our website in the show notes. And
1: organizations that you can support. Well, thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Yeah, even TikTok.
0: And don't forget, we are also on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Bow, Bow and Cloak.